Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to Paddling the Blue. Today's episode features Justine Kurgenvin. Many listeners will know Justine from her DVD and download series, This is the Sea, among other videos. She has a great paddling resume, but even more important, she brings a lot of fun and a great laugh to everything she does. So today we're going to talk about her expedition along the length of the Aleutian Island chain. Make sure you listen all the way through to catch Justine's special offer for listeners of Paddling the Blue, and enjoy the interview. Hi Justine, thanks for joining me today. No problem. It's nice to be here, John. Ah, this has been a great opportunity. I've really been looking forward to the chance to talk to you. So, um, so Justine, you're here to tell us a little bit about the Aleutian Islands. So why don't we start by telling us a little bit about your personal paddling background? Well, I didn't start paddling until I was um, I left university and my best friend dragged me along to my local kayaking club. And I didn't think it was that interesting to start with because we just went around in circles in the harbor and tried to learn to go straight, ironically. But I soon discovered that um, they went for a paddle on a Sunday in amongst the caves, between different beaches, along the beautiful coastline. And then I thought, okay, now this is why they people go kayaking and this is why I want to learn to go straight and I want to learn to turn and I want to learn to go through the caves and everything like that. So. I became quite inspired by it quite quickly. I soon discovered that I loved going on journeys in a kayak. And I mean, it's an amazing vessel for it. You know, you can carry a month's worth of supplies and uh, you can go to some amazing places that people can't get to any other way or easily anyway. And so, yeah, I kind of quite quickly once I started, I started um, doing more and more. And I moved, first of all, to England and then to North Wales to be closer to kayaking, uh, good kayaking. So I moved to Anglesey where they have amazing tidal races and uh, at the time I was trying to make it as a filmmaker, an adventure filmmaker as well and that wasn't always going great so that that meant I had quite a bit of spare time. So I spent a lot of time kayaking and uh, going out in the races, going out and surf and it really improved my skills. And then I was always keen to try to find people to go on adventures with. And my first kind of big adventure, I suppose, was kayaking around Wales with Fiona Whitehead. And we went around the sea and through the canal and river system. I think that took us about three weeks. And then I went to Kamchatka in Russia. I went to Iceland by myself. And, you know, I just soon became hooked on going to these amazing places and exploring them. So you first started kayaking and didn't find it interesting and then found it so interesting that you moved. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess I, that's not really why I moved to England, actually, but it is why I moved to Wales. One of the main reasons for sure. That's pretty cool. Now, you mentioned uh, your uh, your film career. Now, that certainly took off um, in terms of being an adventure filmmaker with uh, five uh, This is the Sea DVDs yeah. now. Yeah, right. five This is the Sea and then a few other DVDs, rolling DVDs and an open canoeing DVD as well. Yeah. Give us the background on the Aleutian Islands trip. Well, the Aleutian Islands is somewhere that I really had in my sight, somewhere that I really wanted to go. It's wild, it's remote, it's dangerous, there's extremely strong currents and very little information about where, what direction they go in and how fast they are. And it's very windy. I just hadn't really found anyone to go with. And then my good friend Sarah Uton, who was traveling around the world under her own power, I had previously kayaked from London to France and from Russia to Japan with her as part of her round-the-world trip. 
and uh, that was meant to be the end of my role. But she was rowing across the Pacific from Japan to Vancouver, and uh, she basically got taken around in circles and all over the place by winds and currents, and she wasn't going to make it. Uh, so she ended up going to the Aleutian Islands. So she phoned me up from the middle of the Pacific Ocean and said, Justine, how do you fancy kayaking along the Aleutian Island chain with me next year? And I thought about it, and I'm like, well, I'm not saying no, but it will be the most challenging trip that either of us have ever done. And I did have to think about it, because Sarah's way less experienced in a kayak than I am. At that point, she didn't have a reliable role. And as I mentioned, it's an incredibly uh, unpredictable and wild place with no one to help us in most of the most of the places so but Sarah's got an amazing attitude and she was basically she arrived in Adak the westernmost inhabited island in September and we weren't going back till the following April so she was coming home in between so we had seven months to train her up and she also agreed to use sails and to me that was a big plus because it meant that um, we could just have a little bit of extra speed um, when the wind was, was favourable. And also, I figured the worst case scenario would be that one of us kind of repeatedly fell out of our boat on a long crossing, you know, to the extent that we just had to raft up um, because it would just keep happening. And I thought, well, if we have sails, we should be able to go somewhere, either back to the island that we've left or to the island we were trying to get to. Um, so I figured it was a big safety an extra safety um, issue and some of the crossings were long we had a lot of 20 mile crossings we had one 40 nautical mile crossing so um, you know you're looking at paddling all day possibly landing in the dark on a remote uninhabited island where you don't really know much about the landings so I think it was okay to use sails. So how did you uh, to learn about the area? I don't remember how I first learned about it. I mean, it's an amazing feature if you look on a map or a globe. I mean, this, the Alaskan Peninsula and the Aleutian Island chain stretches, you know, right the way across all the way to Russia. And I think I'd heard about Stan Chadwick had done some kayaking there and a few other people had been there. And uh, John Bowermaster wrote a book about kayaking and some of the islands there. And everyone just said how wild and remote that they were and how challenging it was with all of the currents. And so, yeah, I just really fancied taking on that challenge and yeah it just gave me the the opportunity when Sarah ended up there in her rowing boat. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, that there's not a lot of information about the area how did you gather that information to get an understanding of, of where you could land and, and basically how you'd make the journey? Well there's a, a coastal pilot that's available for free online so we, we read through that and we got all the information that really is available so in s some of the channels that we went across between islands does have tidal information but it's not particularly accurate but we we took that and you know we we sort of used that as our baseline and, and we often found that it was vaguely correct but it could be two or three hours out <laughs> so if it said it was gonna go the current was gonna go north for for five hours and then south for, for six seven hours then it was probably vaguely right, but you didn't really know when it was going to change. And one channel actually was the total opposite of what we were expecting. But um, it gave us something to work with to start with. And there was a little bit of information about, you know, currents at 12 knots in this particular passage, for example. Mostly information that was a bit scary sounding. And then we also found people that travelled the area in boats. So there's a couple of boats that travel in the area 
through the season, dropping off researchers and things like that. And so we spoke to one of the captains who had been, you know, sailing in the area for 30 years. And he was an amazing source of information, giving us local knowledge. And I just looked wherever I could as well for, for information. Uh, previous people that had been there, I read John Bowmaster's book, you know, whatever we could find. And, and how many miles and how many days were you out on this trip? It was two and a half thousand kilometers, so about one and a half thousand miles, and it took us 101 days. <laughs> and I mean, I think we only paddled 67 of those. We had a lot of days off, either due to bad weather or because um, we were in civilization. I mean, the biggest, we had a couple of stretches of 250 nautical miles with no villages, but there are a few villages and communities along the island chain, and whenever we were there, it was hard to get Sarah to leave. <laughs> um, I mean, like for her, it was just a totally out there trip. I mean, for me, it was challenging, but Sarah was very much outside her comfort zone quite a bit of the time. And she was very brave to do that um, because ultimately she wanted to get uh, to do that distance in a season. And so to do that, you can't wait for calm weather every crossing or every day. You just would never get anywhere. So, uh, you know, we had to go out in some conditions that were that she didn't really like but you know I felt confident that I could could I could uh deal with any situation that might arise if anything did I mean actually Sarah didn't swim or capsize or anything on any of the crossings so that was great but yeah she had to push herself and then yeah in the, in the various villages we would uh we would ship ourselves some food and we managed to find a contact in every community somebody that we could kind of stay with and would help us out and you know give us an insight into the community so that was that was great yeah I've sort of forgotten the original question but I think I vaguely <laughs> answered it <laughs> oh sure sure so I mean that's a pretty impressive uh you know I guess I'll call it record for Sarah for not being uh not capsizing and not having any uh, any swims during the trip in conditions that she just wasn't comfortable with you mentioned uh, civilization. So describe what civilization looks like out in the middle of the illusion chain. <laughs> well, it's quite interesting. I mean, one of the communities that we stayed at, Nikolsky, only has 17 people. That's one seven people that live there. And uh, so it was fascinating, really, to go and see these communities. And a lot of the smaller communities are Aleut communities, native villages. It's great to see them still there trying to live a somewhat of a traditional way. But it's very hard for them because it's very expensive to fly in and out of the islands. They're very much cut off and they have a very limited number of people. And Nikolsky, the, the 17 people community, doesn't have any children. So I, you think ultimately that one probably can't survive um, unless something changes, unless they have an inf influx of people. And then other communities like Atka has about 90 people that live there and they do have kids and they do have a school. So hopefully that community can continue to exist and to do well. And they're still, you know, they're eating sea lion and they're collecting kelp and various different things that creatures that grow in the sea to, to supplement their, their, uh, their, you know, what they eat. They don't eat, a, they, they don't live a 100% traditional life anymore. They have a store, they buy things like you and I would. Um, but yeah, they're very much trying to keep their community alive and their language alive as well. And then the biggest community that we went to is Dutch Harbour, which is where they filmed Deadliest Catch. And that's about 5,000 people that live there. So that was that was probably a little bit different. The only sort of non-native, non-exclusive non, non native community that we called in at. And after that many days out and uh, 
with the biggest town that you see having 17 people, uh, Dutch Harbor must have been quite a culture shock at that point. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was it was nice. We went to a restaurant and had an all you can eat. That was pretty cool. And uh, we actually go a pilot gave us a, a free flight to one of the neighboring islands. And we went to like the a museum. And yeah, it was quite it was good. And some people that we met there um, invited us for dinner and someone had got a freshly caught king crab that they had dived down for that day. And so we got we got some treats, um, some lovely home cooked meals and civilization and yeah that was pretty nice and it was always it's always nice to get a shower of course when you've been a couple of weeks uh, out in the bush <laughs> certainly so what did you enjoy most about the experience i think several things i love being out on any trip i just love the journey aspect of of journeying through wild places and i think one of the really nice things about that part of the world is that for you know two and a half thousand kilometers there was very little influence of man and, you know, in this day and age, you hear a lot of news about things being logged, things being mined, things being destroyed. And it was very nice to see that, you know, there is a vast area of land that hasn't been, that's largely untouched. I mean, the sea is fished and, you know, there, there are obviously some, some places where humans live, but, you know, a lot of it is still pretty wild and as it was, which is was fantastic to see. And I mean, it's helped by the fact that there's no trees in the Aleutian Islands. It's too windy, so there's not going to be any logging there. Um, but yeah, no, it was really cool. And I think just doing the journey with Sarah as well, who um, uh, it was very challenging at times and we had our moments uh, of disagreement, but mostly we got on well. And Sarah is one of my best friends now. So I think that, you know, if you can go through something like that together and be there for each other and support each other, then, uh, you know, you do develop a very strong friendship. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the best thing that probably has come from the trip is my friendship with Sarah. Yeah, the people always make the difference. Yeah, for sure. So what were some of your biggest challenges uh, along the way? Well, I think the biggest challenges were the crossings and the unknown. Um, I mean, the pilot said, you know, broadly speaking, when the tide is flooding, the current runs north between the islands, and when it's ebbing, it runs south between the islands. And then, as I said, we did have some information for a few of the, the channels which ships occasionally go through. But, um, you know, trying to do a crossing where you don't know how strong the current's going to be, it could be one knot, it could be five knots, you know, it could be faster than you can paddle. Um, and not knowing what direction it's going to be in and when it's going to turn is extremely challenging. And so you have to just kind of make an estimate and uh, and kind of constantly adjust depending on what's happening. You know, GPS is absolutely essential. And on our longest crossing of 40 nautical miles, or about 75 kilometers, basically we, we aimed towards the island and look, looked at the GPS, saw where the arrow was pointing, and adjusted our angle so that we were basically going to end up within three miles of the island, either north or south. Because if you can't constantly try to go on a straight line towards the island and sort of you end up fighting the current sometimes and not really getting anywhere and it takes you longer, longer to get there in the long run. So my aim was to get us to go east as fast as possible um, as long as we were going to end up within three miles of the island north or south. And so for a few hours we'd be going on a bearing of northeast, for example, and then the current would turn and we'd go on a bearing of, of uh, southeast. And then the current would turn again and our bearing would change. Um, and we didn't know until we were within about five miles of the island whether we were going to be landing on the north coast or the south coast. You know, it just was all down to what the current decided to do. 
we were actually did really well on that crossing. We were averaging a little over three knots. We had a little bit of help from the wind. And, uh, but then, you know, 10 miles from the end, the current turned and it was slightly against us. And we went from doing a little over three knots to a little under two knots. And so if you do the maths, that for 10 miles, that's like just over three hours to get there versus the new, the new time of five hours to get there. And, you know, that's a big difference when it's getting dark. So that basically meant we would be landing in the dark, which is what happened. So we're landing in the dark on a cobble beach that we have very little information about, a steep cobble beach. Um, but luckily, uh, the, the, the wind had been largely from the northwest. So on the south side of the island, we were quite protected and it was very calm. Um, there was a storm the next day and we really would not have wanted to land on that beach even in the daylight the following day it was crazy rough yeah so you know to some extent we had some luck but i think also we just we had the guts just to get out there and try which i think was the important thing we had faith that we would get there eventually we just had to keep paddling <laughs> any particular uh, really sketchy moments where you thought this is it we're done uh, I don't think I ever thought this is it, we're done, but there were definitely a, a few nerve-wracking moments. Um, one of them was we went to do a 20-mile crossing on a reasonably windy forecast, um, but the wind was in our favour, and as I said, you can't wait for, I think it was 15 to 20 knots wind, the forecasts, so you can't wait for a, a, a super calm day uh, for every crossing. And we went and it was okay, you know, the waves were behind us and it was not that rough. But then we ended up getting caught in an eddy behind an island. It was a massive eddy. We were a couple of miles away from this island, but there was a big eddy there. And so now we were in wind against current conditions, which uh, you may know means that the waves are a lot rougher. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly the sea just really kicked up and it took us like an hour to get out of that current and back into uh, current that was with us. And uh, that was one of the roughest seas that we had. And yes, I was very nervous that Sarah was going to, to capsize or take a swim or, you know, she certainly wasn't very happy, <laughs> but she did great. And it made for some good filming. <laughs> <laughs> And then yes. right at the end of the trip as well, um, we, had to, we had to do a long crossing to, um, we were nearly back in Homer, we were like a few days away, and we had to do a big crossing, and um, the day before we'd had a bad forecast and we'd sat it out, and it was calm the whole day, really frustrating, and so the next day we tried to cross, yeah, we ended up going close to a, a tidal race, and just this big wave just kind of crashed down out of nowhere quite close to us, and I thought, hmm... If that had hit us, that would not be great. And so we decided that we would turn around and uh, leave the crossing for another day. So, yeah, I think those were the two kind of heart-in-your-mouth moments that I had. <laughs> um, how did you prepare mentally and physically for the trip? I think the preparation is just a culmination of all the different trips that I've done over the years. I mean, since 2002, I've been doing sea kayaking trips. You know, most years I've done a, a trip of at least a month. And I think it's just, you build up experience. And I've also done a lot of rough water paddling for fun. I love paddling in tidal races, surfing in tidal races. I love surfing. And so my, my skills are pretty good. And my reading of the sea is pretty good from doing all that rough water paddling. And uh, my stamina is, is good from all of the trips that I've done. And I've learned pretty good judgment over the years as well. You know, every situation you're in that's slightly different, every little mistake you make makes you a better paddler. And I think judgment is something that you can't overestimate uh, the importance of. 
um, really is. And like with Sarah, that was my aim. Uh, our aim was not to like take on the biggest, craziest seas and show how tough we were. The aim was to plan a trip where we minimized the risks and the challenges. If we had a, a 15 mile crossing, we would sometimes do a longer crossing, a 20 mile crossing or, or longer to avoid uh, crossing at the narrowest point where it's often roughest, for example. And, uh, you know, we set out bad weather. We, we had to use good tactics. So, yeah, I think preparation is just a culmination of uh, years of experience. So you mentioned uh, that Sarah had a lot of preparation to do and you worked together for seven months prior to the trip. Um, tell us a little bit about that preparation and how you, how you worked with her and how that might help others thinking about how they want to develop their own personal skills. Well, Sarah was actually quite ill when she got back from the row. She developed pneumonia. She reacted to mold that was growing in her cabin and she got very poorly. And uh, to the extent that she she reacted really badly to her mum's dogs and had to go to hospital. And so she was, yeah, she wasn't feeling that well. So that sort of cut into the training a little bit. But most months we would do a few days to a week's worth of training. She'd come up to Wales a lot of the time and we'd just go out in conditions. She she learned to, to, to roll. Um, Barry Shaw also did some training with her to help her prepare. Um, and we just did as much as we could, just putting her into conditions so that when when they happened in the Aleutian Islands, it wasn't a shock, you know. <laughs> The remoteness is a shock, but if you've already been in rough conditions, then it's much easier to handle, if, if you like. So, so yeah, I think it's definitely important to improve your skills um, so that you can handle the conditions that you're likely to encounter. And also just to improve your confidence, because I think that you need to feel confident going into things. Not, not reckless, not overconfident, but I find personally that if I feel good about something, then I'm going to paddle a lot better. I'm going to be reactive. I'm going to be pro. So I'm going to be proactive, rather than if I'm feeling nervous about something, I'm more likely to be defensive, to lean back, to to not paddle well. So um, yeah, I think it's training is is great to prepare you for physically and mentally for what you're going to uh, encounter. So having done a big trip of about a month uh, every year since 2002. What advice might you have to give uh, to somebody who's also planning a big trip? I think it's really good to build up to things. Don't go and try to paddle the Aleutian Islands for your first ever sea kayaking trip. Pick something closer to home within your ability levels that stretches you a little bit. And if you can persuade someone more experienced to go with you, then that's a fantastic way to gain experience with a built-in safety net. You know, a lot of the trips that I did, I did with someone more experienced than me early on or, or someone equally experienced than me uh, later on so that we could, you know, be there for each other if necessary and be a sounding board for, you know, decision making. Um, yeah, just work up to something. And if something feels really scary to you, then it's probably a bit too much. If something gives you goosebumps and makes you a bit nervous, but you feel like you've got the skills to, to handle it, then that's perfect. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, build up one thing at a time. So if you don't have much experience, if you're going to a place with strong currents and you don't have experience in currents, then make sure you get some experience in currents before you go. If you know it's going to be super windy, then practice paddling in wind. Don't, probably don't go somewhere that's going to be super windy and with currents and with swell if you've never handled any of them before you know 
pick one <laughs> and uh, get familiar with that. And then you can gradually build up the layers of challenge. Excellent advice. So tell us about some of the equipment that you used on the trip. Well, I used a Valley Attain kayak and Sarah had a rock pool alal bark. And we took three piece kayaks in the end because um, if we had uh, shipped kayaks out there, it would have, we'd have had to have done that several months in advance. We needed to practice with the sails, and so we we needed our kayaks, um, you know, with us in Wales, in in the UK, to to practice with and get our system sorted. So, we decided, yeah, to take three piece kayaks that we could fly with. And as I've already mentioned, we used sails. We used the flat earth sails, which were fantastic. And we didn't just use the sails. We were always paddling, but they just helped, uh, you know, helped us get a little bit more speed sometimes and also just took a little bit of weight off our, off our bodies as well. Just the sail just helps a little bit like that. And um, I found actually they were most useful in like a side wind or even in a wind that was a quartering wind from the front um, because then you could really get some good speed uh, when whereas that normally you'd be paddling quite slowly with the wind against you. Behind us they didn't add a lot because you know you're already surfing but they did did help for sure. We had a Hilleberg tent, a Tara, which is an amazingly strong tent. Um, you need a very good tent for places like that where there's no trees because it's so windy. <laughs> uh, we use Mitchell Blade paddles, which is uh, made in the UK paddles. Um, we had um, uh, Ortlieb dry bags. Um, you know, we had a variety of you know usual sort of. Um, equipment optimus stoves you know the usual kind of camping stuff all right um stepping back to the trip for just a moment uh, funniest moment of the trip oh my goodness funniest moment <laughs> well i mean it's like a it's like a type two fun i suppose um we went uh, we landed on this one beach where there was a stream and it was getting towards like salmon salmon season salmon spawning season and so we went to look in the stream we were concerned it might be a salmon stream so there'd be bears around there's no bears on the Aleutian Islands except for the the one closest to the Alaskan Peninsula but there are on that island and on the Alaskan Peninsula so we were on the peninsula by now uh, we thought, okay, no salmon, it's fine, it's not a salmon stream. And then Sarah said she was going to have a wash, so she strips off and she's washing in the stream and I'm giving her some space a bit further away by the tent. And then she suddenly goes, Justine, there's a bear! And uh, I'm like, oh, okay. And the last time she had said there's a bear, the bear was like 200 meters away and it really wasn't a problem. And so this time, instead of grabbing like the bear spray or the flares, I grabbed uh, my camera <laughs> and sort of sc scurried up to the top of the bank, which was right by the river, and uh, and I, I saw the bear and the bear was like 30 meters away at the other side of the stream and it was coming right towards me. And by now Sarah had scurried behind me. In fact, she had run, run away behind me. So I was the closest thing to the bear that was edible. And it really <laughs> looked to me like the bear was coming straight towards me and it was kind of scary. And I just swore. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to say, all I could think of to do was swear at it and shout. And Sarah then got some rocks and she started throwing them in the stream by the bear. And the bear kind of reared up on its hind legs and then it ran away. Um, and I looked at the video later and the bear's actually going for Sarah's clothes that she had left uh, by the stream. It's not coming towards me at all, but it really looked like it was coming with great purpose towards me. So that was kind of scary. And we later found out that it was a salmon stream. It's just the salmon weren't there yet. The bears were all there waiting for the salmon, basically. And they heard this big splashing around of Sarah in the stream. And they were like, um, oh, the salmon are here. It's time to eat. But no, it was just us. 
and luckily yeah, the bear ran away and we saw one more bear on the beach later as well but they didn't bother us so yeah <laughs> so little opportunity to see uh wildlife like that and then all of a sudden you just happen to run into it at, at that particular time so i know and actually so, another really cool event that happened is that i said already a pilot from dutch harbor had given us a ride to another island to just sort of see that and get an overview of all the different islands well when we were then kayaking that part of the route the same pilot was flying again and he saw us and he flew over our heads and oh my god he was so close I felt like I could have touched the plane in fact Sarah actually ducks to get out the way of the plane (laughs) and that was amazing we just laughed our heads off and uh and amazingly I happened to film it because I happened to have the camera rolling already and then I saw the plane and I was like oh my god the plane and so it you know it's 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 pretty cool (laughs) That sounds like it. So yeah. um, you mentioned the, the the bear and that there really were no bears on the Aleutian chain, uh, with the exception of those couple islands. What about other wildlife? Oh, we saw so many otters. We saw so many sea lions. We saw loads of seals and loads and loads of birds. It's like a famous birding area. In fact, the the boat which takes people along the island chain, the Tigler, it, it's often taking bird watchers and bird researchers, yeah. And we actually stayed on one little island where some bird researchers were living and we spent the day with them and we went round and they were sticking their hands in the burrows to see if the marbled mulets, I think, I forget, I think it was marbled mulets, some sort of burrowing bird anyway they were they were just pulling them out to see if they had how many eggs they had or if they had chicks yet um so that was pretty cool um yeah to spend a day there and there were loads of different um cormorants and uh yeah lots of other oyster catchers yeah so many different birds rhinoceros auklets yeah it was yeah the wildlife was amazing and, and lots of whales as well um lots of humpbacks and um uh, we saw orca, I think only once, and some other whales that might have been fin whales. We weren't quite sure. Hmm. So what's next for Justine? Well, this year is kind of funny, isn't it? Because, well, <laughs> I've, this year I've been doing a lot of things closer to home. So my partner and I, we spent just like a, we've done a few week long trips. Like we live right near a group of islands called the Deer Group that I'd never been to. So we paddled there from home and had a few days like exploring around that. So that was pretty cool. And then we went up to, um, we paddled up to the Bedwell Sound, which is not far from Tofino, and we did a hike up the Bedwell Trail and came back. And then we went up to the Brockton Archipelago for a week and did a trip around an island up there. And uh, I've been to Skook a couple of times and I've just been trying to connect with friends more because during the season I tend to work on sort of guided trips which is great fun because there we like to do sort of more advanced trips 19 day trips along the Great Bear Rainforest or around the Brooks Peninsula for 14 days etc so I haven't done any of that this year so um, yeah I'm trying to reconnect more with friends locally because I'm often away so that's been quite nice just doing more local walks and bike rides and surfs and things like that um, for a big trip, well, this year we were planning to go, to paddle around, to go to Greenland and do some paddling, and then we changed the plan to Haida Gwaii, and then we changed the plan to the local trips. So I think next year, if the season happens, then I'll be pretty busy doing all the guided trips that got postponed from this year and the ones that we already had on the schedule for next year. So I don't think there'll be a big trip for me next year, but the following year I definitely like to do something. And we we still might go to Antarctica this January as well. At the moment, we're scheduled to do a month-long trip on a sailing boat with with five clients down to Antarctica, which is something that I do most years. Um, at the moment, that's still going ahead. I mean, we'll see. 
Um, but yeah, we were, we were due to do that next year as well and then do a trip in the Chilean fjords afterwards. So yeah, a few things on the horizon, but no big, big trip plans at this stage. All right. So you mentioned a couple of times that you were filming and that you had the camera rolling, for example, when the plane flew overhead. And as I look across the room here, um, I look at my bookshelf and there's a number of This is the Sea DVDs, and I also have a copy of Kayaking the Illusions on my bookshelf here. So uh, can you tell listeners a little bit about your uh, DVD series? Well, that's very good. You get extra brownie points. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, um, I guess um, I never really knew what I wanted to do growing up, like, and it, it didn't really worry me either. And then when I was at university one day, I saw a nature documentary, and I thought, oh, I want to make nature documentaries. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I didn't really know how all the different roles were, but I just wanted to make nature documentaries. And then I guess that evolved a bit. I took some time off after university to go traveling, and then I got into kayaking and adventure stuff, and uh, I decided that at some point that I wanted to... Um, make adventure films and I had I had a job as a TV journalist and then as a multi-skilled program maker for a number of years so then I got the skills to make films and uh, yeah so then I just decided right let's try and let's try and um, make films and sell them and actually one of the things I did was I made a program about two whitewater kayakers for BBC Wales and I went on tour with them kind of in Europe on the competition scene. And I met a couple of whitewater kayakers that were making DVDs about whitewater kayakers. And they didn't have any filming background. And the, the films that they made were not technically particularly good, but they sold a few thousand copies. And so I was like, wow, that sounds pretty cool. No one's doing that for sea kayaking. Maybe I could do that for sea kayaking. And so that gave me the idea. And so then um, at some point I just, yeah, got on with it and I made filmed different interesting people and trips and um, and made This Is The Sea One, I think in 2002. And uh, it was a really good time to bring out a, a kayaking video because there wasn't really much else like it out there. And the internet was just kind of taking off enough that people were found out about the film and got excited about it but it hadn't taken off so much that everybody had a gopro and was making their own films <laughs> gopros didn't exist back then so i had a similar a camera system which like was a small camera that i could mount on my kayak that was a bit like a gopro if you like way before gopros came out so that also grabbed people's attention um and it sold really well. It, it was really, really popular. And so I made another one, and, and then I made another one, and then I made another one. And <laughs> the five This Is The Sea DVDs, they all feature a variety of films. Each one has got at least one kind of long expedition on it that I did. So the first one was Kamchatka um, in Russia with a novice Russian kayaker. And then, you know, the South Island of New Zealand, uh, around Haida Gwaii, you know, whatever it is, around Tierra del Fuego. And then occasionally I would also edit someone else's footage. So I edited some footage of three Australians who paddled in the Antarctic Peninsula and uh, Jeff Allen and Hadass Feldman who kayaked around Japan. So, and then I would just do features about interesting people and each film would also have a, a section on either a tidal race or for example, down the paddling down the Ottawa River with Ken Whiting. So there's a bit of action, a bit of culture, a bit of expedition, you know, there's a bit of interesting people on each one. And then at some point I thought, you know, I love paddling around the outside of things in a sea kayak, but wouldn't it be cool to paddle down the middle of something? And so then I decided I would make a canoeing video, largely because I wanted to go on a remote canoeing expedition somewhere. 
and I thought making a DVD would be a good way to allow me to do that. And so I did, I approached Blackfeather and they got me on a trip going down the mountain river in the Northwest Territories in Canada, which was amazing. And then I also filmed various other interesting people and aspects of canoeing for a This Is Canoeing uh, DVD. And then I also teamed up with Sherry Perry and Turner Wilson and made a couple of rolling DVDs, instructional rolling DVDs, um, on the Greenland style rolls. So the first one covers like the three fundamental rolls, the standard Greenland roll, which is your typical sweep roll, and then a forward finishing roll and the reverse sweep. And then the second DVD is all the funny, quirky, 30 different rolls they have in the Greenland competition. Um, and then the Aleutians film was its own film. It wasn't a This Is The Sea because it was such an amazing expedition and there's a quite, a, quite a long film. So that was just kayaking the Aleutians with a few, I think three or four extra films, short films on there as bonuses. Yeah, so it's been busy. It's amazing. I've made nine different DVDs and probably over, probably approaching a hundred different individual films as well, which is amazing. <laughs> well, they're, they're definitely fantastic DVDs. I would uh, certainly recommend them to every, anybody. And I can tell you for certain that, uh, I think for a long time, people looked at sea kayaking and thought it was uh, just a bunch of folks with gray beards uh, out taking <laughs> a tour. And I think your DVDs and, and uh, what you've done has really helped open a lot of people's eyes to realize what you can do with a sea kayak. So thank you for putting those together. No problem. It was my pleasure. It's nice yeah. to be able to you know, make a living. I was able to make a living out of it doing what I love by selling the DVDs. You know, Things have changed these days. People don't buy films as much and I can't make a living out of it anymore. It supplements my income. People, some people do still buy DVDs and I sell everything as downloads. But yeah, times have changed and uh, there's a lot of free content out there now and uh, you know, people, less people will, will pay for good films. But that's okay. I'm not bitter about it. You know, life moves on and I'm doing other things. So the site that you sell them under is Cackle TV. Yes. All right. So where did the name come from? Well, I'm a bit reluctant to give you a demonstration because I think I will definitely make this microphone pop. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, have, people should just listen to, or watch one of the videos. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's basically it's after my laugh. It was a nickname that I had at university from my uh, hockey playing friends. And when I've started to try and think of a name for my company, um, it was weird. Cackle came into my mind like really early on. And I'm like, no, don't be stupid. You can't call an adventure filmmaking company Cackle TV. It's stupid. <laughs> but I tried to think of all these other different evocative words and I just couldn't think of anything that I really liked better. Um, you know, a lot of things were taken and plus I didn't, I didn't want to limit myself to just sea kayaking. So I didn't want to call it like sea kayak. Ex I don't know. I just couldn't think of anything better. So in the end I'm like, well, why not? It's, it's my company. It's dri driven by me. So why not have a nickname that, that refers to me? And also it's a humorous name and hopefully it'll <laughs> remind myself not to take myself too seriously. Well, if I remember right, and it's been, I have to admit, it's been a little while since I've watched them. I got to pull them out again and watch them here soon. Um, but don't you end most of the episodes with your laugh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I thought, well, if Miramax can have a lion that roars, I can have a cackling me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Justine, how can listeners reach you? Well, they, my website, you already mentioned, cackletv.com. I'm also on, have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash cackle tv i'm on twitter as at cackle tv 
um, and I'm on YouTube and Instagram as Justine Kagenvan. Yeah, so any of those ways work. I'm too old to use Snapchat or TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my daughters have tried to get me into Snapchat, and I just it's it's just not my thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never even really considered it until just telling you I'm not on them, and that made me think, oh, maybe I'm not too old. Maybe I shouldn't give in to that, <laughs> but I doubt I'll go on them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Justine, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Well, I think there's so many great people out there, but I think one person who I haven't heard a lot from who's quietly doing a lot of very cool trips is Tara Mulvaney from New Zealand. And she's quite a young uh, female paddler and uh, she's a very accomplished. She's a good whitewater paddler and a good sea kayaker. And I think her first trip pretty much was paddling around the South Island of New Zealand in winter. And I've paddled around the South Island of New Zealand in summer and that was challenging enough. But in winter when it's rougher and you have much less daylight, it's much more challenging. I mean, when we did it, we did some very long days, you know, because if the weather was good, we wanted to avoid surf landing. So we would do 80 kilometers a day regularly. Well, there's no way you can do that in winter because it gets dark. So she's having to do twice as many surf launches and landings as we did because they're doing 40 kilometers a day. Um, and then her boyfriend at the time uh, pulled out of the trip and she decided to finish it by herself so she's pretty hardcore and uh, she's since then she's pa she paddled around Vancouver Island by herself she paddled along the coast of Norway by herself um, she's done a trip at least one trip in Greenland and she's, she was part of the team that paddled around all the four main islands of Svalbard a few years ago so um, yeah she's done some pretty cool stuff but she doesn't really write much about it or talk much about it well having said that she has written a book about paddling around the south island of new zealand but you know she doesn't really have much of a presence on social media or, or i mean she's on there but she doesn't really sort of give you long reports or produce videos or anything like that so i think probably a lot of people don't know about her or don't know much about her so if you know if she's able to do it i think that would be great i'll definitely listen <laughs> well it certainly sounds like she's got some great stories and uh, i'm certain that our listeners would really enjoy hearing those stories as well Oh, yeah, and ask her about the, the guy who, um, when she paddled around Norway, he towed in a sauna to wherever she was camping. <laughs> <laughs> that looked pretty amazing. <laughs> All right, I am writing that down right now, and I will make sure that I, uh, that I ask her about that. So we'll make the connection with her. Justine, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me this evening um, on, the, on Paddling the Blue. And any, any final comments for you? No, thank you very much for that. I'm sorry. I know I, I took a while to uh, find a time when I could talk to you. So thank you for persevering. And I'm glad we finally got to do this. Absolutely. Justine, thank you very much. And I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions, along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler, and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD.
I have had the pleasure of meeting Justine a few times, and she is truly a joy to talk to. If you've never heard the famous Justine Cackle, Justine's got a special offer for you to grab her videos at a discount. So go to CackleTV.com, use the discount code POD, P-O-D, at checkout for a 15% discount. Our next episode will be a little bit different and a little less about the actual paddling, although there's certainly some paddling, but more about the craft we use to paddle. So join me for an interview with Joey Schott. Joey is a master boat builder, and he's a magician with boat repairs. Um, We'll talk about the boat building process, hear about the craziest repair Joey's ever done, and get a few tips on what you can do to keep your boat in good shape. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.